So we've been studying 1 Thessalonians, this letter written by Paul and Silas and Timothy to this brand new church in the city of Thessalonica in Macedonia. And we've titled the series, The Coming of Christ, because every chapter ends with a uh, focus on the second coming of our Lord Jesus. Chapter 1, Paul said, uh, the Christian life is largely waiting. We recognize that our true life is hidden with Christ in God, and that when Christ returns, our true life will appear. And so, really, we're waiting. We recognize this world isn't our eternal home. In chapter 2, Paul tells the Thessalonians, when Jesus returns, I'm going to point to you and your faith in Christ as evidence that I've been thinking about Jesus while he was gone. And so we're challenged. Who are we going to point to when Christ returns as evidence that we have spent our lives well? And uh, here at the end of chapter 3, Paul prays for the Thessalonians. And what he prays is this. He says, when Christ returns, I pray that you will be found blameless in holiness. In other words, I pray that your conduct will match your name as Christian. So if you have a Bible, please turn, and I do encourage you to bring your Bibles, uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Direct our way to you. Remember, Paul and Silas and Timothy are in Corinth. Paul and Silas had been kicked out of Thessalonica because of their preaching of the gospel. And they wanted to get back to Thessalonica, but so far they had been hindered by Satan from getting there. So they're praying that God would help them get back to the Thessalonians. Verse 12, And may the Lord make you Increase and abound or overflow in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What a great prayer. Uh, please pray that for me and I pray that for you, that when Christ returns, he would find us blameless in holiness, that our conduct would match our name as Christians. Today is, uh, the, the, the topic is sexual purity, because Paul, that's what Paul goes right on to talk about. One way that we can be blameless in our conduct uh, is, to, is in this whole uh, topic of sexual purity. And so he goes on and specifies that. And I want to start by reading uh, a quote from Perry Noble, who wrote a book called Overwhelmed. Before I came to Christ, I had no reason not to do whatever I could with the girls, to see how far I could go, to see who I could conquer. After receiving Jesus into my life, my priorities changed, but my, but my desires did not quickly follow. By the way, I'll pause. If you're a fifth and sixth grader and didn't take advantage of the class, we will uh, think nothing bad of you if you want to right now. Uh, Seventh and up, you should be here for this. I thought, should I announce this topic in advance? And I thought, no. No one will come. Or will be crowded. I couldn't figure out which one it would be. So I just thought, I'm going to be silent. How does this fit with Christmas? Well, the Advent theme today is joy. 
All right, before we get into our text, let me give you a little background. Here's the background. Why is Paul talking about this to the Thessalonians? Well, the church of Thessalonica was made up predominantly of Gentiles who had become Christians. These are new Christians. They, went, they weren't Jews who accepted Jesus as their Messiah, who grew up in a Jewish culture with, its, with the Jewish understanding of sexuality. These are Gentiles who grew up in Thessalonica, a city full of idols, a pagan city with a, an ungodly uh, attitude towards sex. In fact, we know that in Thessalonica, some of the primary gods and goddesses, Aphrodite, the goddess of love, Dion, Dionysius, or Bacchus, the god of kind of partying and wine. Cerbus, the god of fertility. And they had temples in Thessalonica. And those temples had prostitutes. Part of their religious practice was to go to the temple and sleep with a prostitute. Somehow that was considered, uh, helped connect you to the divine. Uh, bottom line, what everybody, uh, the attitude in Thessalonica was the only thing you weren't supposed to do is sleep with someone's wife because then she might have a, uh, an illegitimate child and confuse the inheritance, the line of inheritance. But other than that, it was just a free-for-all. You were, uh, it was perfectly okay to visit prostitutes. You could have a mistress. You could have concubines. If you weren't married, you could sleep with whatever, whomever else was not married that you wanted to. Uh, it was just sort of a free-for-all. And, and you've got to understand that these, uh, these, uh, these Thessalonian Christians had that's what they grew up with. That's what they had been doing. And they become Christians. And so now they have to learn a whole new way of conducting themselves sexually. And as Perry Noble points out, let me read it again. It's not necessarily easy. After receiving Jesus into my life, my priorities changed, but my desires did not quickly follow. So this is a, to uh, a sanctification topic, a topic of of learning to be in practice what we are in, in reality. Positionally, before God, we are 100% righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been applied to our account. But we, we spend the rest of our lives learning to be that in practice. So this is a sanctification topic. And, and you know what? American society is probably not too different from... Thessalonian society, although I don't, we don't have these uh, uh, temples, right? But pretty much uh, the, the, the non-Christian sexual ethic is you just do whatever you want to do. If it feels good, if you want to, go for it. All right, so here we go. We open the text. We are now chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, I want you to notice here that Paul's not telling the Thessalonians something new. It's not uh, something that he had not neglected to teach on Christian se sexual ethics. He says, uh, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, 
Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you. So Paul and Silas are saying, when we were with you, we taught you about uh, how to honor God uh, with your sexuality. But Timothy is reporting to us, because remember Paul and Silas, they, get kicked, they got kicked out and they had a Thessalonica had to go to uh, Corinth and they left before they wanted to and they sent Timothy back to check up on the church. Timothy returned to them in Corinth with a great report. You know, their faith in God is strong. They are evangelizing Macedonia and all of Greece. They're loving each other well. But, you know, that whole topic of uh, kind of sexuality, some people in the church, they're really not changing their behavior. They're, 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 they're not getting with the program too fast, right? So Paul is simply reiterating what he's already taught them, and he's putting a big exclamation point on it, and he's saying, you know what, uh, what I taught you regarding sex is very important, and it's something you need to prioritize and, and, um, and, and get pure in your life. All right, back to verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about what is sexual purity, why is it important, and then finally, how do we go about doing that? First off, what is it? And you know what? If the church doesn't talk about sex and define it as, uh, who, who, where are we going to learn? We're going to learn from the world, right? Okay, so what is sexual purity? Well, first off, it's not sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is simply sex outside of marriage. And so, number one, sexual purity is before marriage, no sex. If you're not married, you should not be having sex. You shouldn't be having partial sex. You shouldn't have friends with benefits. You shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or anyone else if you're not married. Number two, once you're married, enjoy sex for a lifetime. All right? Now, I have there on the slide, in parentheses, other gendered. Because unfortunately, our society is saying that same-sex couples, uh, they call it marriage. But the Bible says sex between men, sex between women is always immoral. So uh, it's marriage to someone of the opposite gender. You know, I, I love the Bible's practicality. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Being my favorite, one of my favorite verses was a joke. You're supposed to laugh. But Paul's being very, he's telling the Corinthians, you know, if you're married, don't withhold from each other. In fact, just uh, 
couple verses up, it says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. And then, so here we are. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement. You have to both agree on this. Hey, let's stop all that for a little while. Oh, I agree with you. For a limited time, not for the rest of our lives, and agree upon the time, right? Like six hours. (laughs) That you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then... Come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And then, uh, so then to single people, he says, you know, if, uh, if you can remain single, great, I do. That's what he says. Um, verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The Bible actually has a lot to say about sex. It's very realistic. Um, if you want to, get married. When I was uh, in eighth grade, I was starting to be curious about all this. I was actually 15. I was an old eighth grader. And I was, I was kind of wondering, I sort of had this impression that it was bad and, and it was interesting, but something God was holding back from me. And uh, fortunately, I had this uh, pastor who uh, addressed a group of boys and said, hey, listen, God created sex. He created it for your pleasure. He wants you to have it and lots of it. And I was like, yeah, really? And he said, but in the context of marriage. I said, oh, that makes sense. Okay, I can wait for that. Once you're married, enjoy sex for a lifetime. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. May the breasts of the wife of your youth satisfy you forever. Uh, May you be captivated by your love. Uh, And so, uh, in fact, if you're married and not having sex with your spouse, something's off there. And uh, do what you need to do to get that um, back online. So sexual purity, before marriage, no sex. Once you're married, enjoy sex with your spouse for a lifetime. Number three, limit your sexual activities to those things applauded by the majority of Christians. That's how I understand verse four. Verse four, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. We're in control of the body when we only, we only let our body do things that are holy and honorable. So, you know, even when you get married, there are some things that are not honorable to do sexually. Uh, and so the, 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 the sort of collective nose of, of Christendom is pretty good on this. So for example, S&M, the vast majority of Christians say that's not appropriate. It's not a healthy way to interact with your spouse. Number four, don't be ruled by your sexual urges. That's verse five. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, what does the world say? The world says, the sex drive is so powerful, there's no way you can control it. It's, it, it's absolutely crazy to think that people can wait until they're married to have sex. Come on. In fact, if you, if you try to repress your sexual urges, you're going to damage your psyche. You become a repressed person and not a healthy person. Right? We've all heard this. Uh, 
the sex drive is so powerful, there's no way we can expect people to control it. What does God say? This is the will of God. Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. God says, yes, you can. You need to learn to control your body. You remain in charge. Your sexual urges should not be in charge of you. You're in charge of them. And so, what about pornography, which is so rampant because it's so available? And yet, what is pornography if it's not trying to satisfy your sexual urges apart from your spouse? Uh, It's being controlled, uh, letting the passion of your lust control you rather than you control it. And then finally, uh, sexual purity is doing no harm to others with your sexuality. Verse 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And here's the reality. Sex outside of marriage hurts someone. Uh, If you're married and you have sex with someone other than your spouse, you are wronging your spouse. Uh, And bottom line, if, if sex outside of marriage is sin, which it is, then you are helping someone else sin Uh, if you engage with them. And so someone is always hurt uh, if it's not, you know, so you think, oh, you know, pornography, that's, it's just me. Well, there's a whole industry you support, right? The exploitation of people. Someone is always harmed uh, when our sexuality is expressed or outside of the context of marriage. So that's what it is. That's, that's how God defines sexual purity. Who's having fun? You guys having fun? I'm not. I'm like sweating up here. All right. Now, this is harder for me than it is for you, really. I'm trying not to look at anybody too carefully here. The eyes are moving. All right. Second, why is this important? Why is sexual purity important? Well, number one, Uh, It is the will of God, and it pleases Him. How you ought to walk and to please God, for this is the will of God. God God desires purity. It pleases Him. And so when we walk in uh, sexual purity, uh, we feel the favor of God and the blessing of God. He will bless that. It's according to His will. He's pleased with it. He'll honor that. You will experience his blessing in your life. Number two, it promotes true love uh, in a family, in a community, because uh, we're not taking advantage of each other. We're not harming each other. Uh, Number three, because God punishes sexual impurity. Verse six, the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Okay, that's Paul, Silas, and Timothy cautioning the Thessalonian Christians. Um, you, can't, you can't break God's standards in this matter and, and, and expect to kind of get away with it. Uh, and so for Christians, it's the discipline of the Lord. He's not going to allow you to be caught up in sin. He's not going to be allowing you to take advantage of other people. He's going to put a stop to that. 
and he, and he will, uh, and often that discipline hurts. It's for our benefit, but it hurts. And so uh, rather than protect us from the consequences, uh, God often will sort of uh, bring those consequences on. And those consequences can be um, the loss of a marriage. It can be sexually transmitted diseases, children out of wedlock. You can go to prison, right? And on and on it goes. And God will, uh, God's not going to necessarily protect us from that. He'll sometimes allow that to come into our lives so that we feel the sting and recognize this is not good for me and I've got to get this out of my life. And then finally, uh, sexual, sexual purity is important because God has called us to holiness. He's trying to create new people. Verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God wants us to be different from our neighbors. He wants our lives to change. Before I knew Jesus, I lived this way. Since I know Christ, I live a different way. And we should have a testimony like that as regards our sexuality. So we've talked about uh, what is sexual purity, why is it important. Now let's talk about maybe the most important matter, how. How do we go about it? Um, you know, these Thessalonians, I'm sure some of them wanted to, like Perry Noble, but man, how do you get your desires to change? How do you get your behavior to change? You've developed patterns. Some people have developed patterns for decades. How do we change those patterns of behavior and those desires? Well, Number one, know God. Uh, this uh, being controlled by the passion of your lusts, that is characteristic of people who do not know God. And so you want to have a change in this area? Know God. Become a follower of Christ. And then know God intimately. Press into him. Uh, learn more about him. Cultivate uh, a personal daily walk with the Lord, pray, read your Bible. The more you know God, the more you'll desire to please him. The more you'll become convinced that his way is truly uh, the path to the abundant life. It's truly good for you. And then finally, uh, tap into the power of the Holy Spirit or allow the Spirit of God to be in control of your life. And that's what Paul ends with here in verse 8. God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He's reminding the Thessalonians that the living God dwells within you. And the Spirit of the living God will help you do what is right in the eyes of God. The Spirit of the living God is going to help you please God and do his will. He will help you in this matter of, of sexual purity. Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. Walk by the Spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means to be animated by the Spirit of God. It means the Spirit of God is in control of your life. The Spirit of God is calling the shots in your life. Crew has a, a really good pictorial image of uh, two different ways to live. Have it up here on the screen. The difference between the self-directed life and the Spirit-directed life. Uh, the self-directed life, and the, and the question is, who's on the throne in your life? Who's sitting on the throne? If self is sitting on the throne, self's calling the shots. 
And self says, I've got sexual urges and I want them satisfied and I don't care who I hurt or how I go about it. I've got to get that urge satisfied. And the spirit-directed life says, what does God want? What does God say is best for me? How does he say I go about being fulfilled? And so you allow, uh, you allow God in control. Uh, they, give, um, they suggest something called spiritual breathing. I like this. And it's about exhaling and inhaling. And as it regards our sexuality, as we encounter temptations, and we know I am tempted right now to um, do something that's not the will of God with regards to sex. Exhale it, which is telling God, naming it. God, I am tempted right now to go on the computer and uh, look at porn and indulge my... Um, lusts. I know, I know that's wrong. And then you inhale. I want to do what's right. You say that uh, no man is tempted uh, beyond what uh, we can handle, and, and with every temptation you provide a way of escape. I believe that. I want to do what's right. Spirit of God, you live within me. You can give me the power to say no. Please, empower my will. But I've never done it before. But you can, I can start today, you know, and you just, you do this spiritual breathing. I, I, I thought that was, would be helpful. So my own experience, you know what, uh, in this area, uh, I had many years of, here's the, here's the bottom line. <laughs> I just cut myself off. No, I'll tell you that story. But uh, at Christian, I wanted to be sexually pure, and I had many years of just, partial success and failings and partial success and failings. And there, there became uh, a point in my life shortly after I got married uh, where the Lord did a radical breakthrough. Uh, but it wasn't, it, you know, it didn't just mysteriously happen. It, I just became just absolutely, I wanted to change. I was desperate to be sexually pure. I was married. I, I wanted to give Sabrina all of me. And um, it was the, 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 the most significant spiritual breakthrough I've ever experienced, uh, but it was a, it was a process uh, to where uh, I was just crying out, with the, crying out to the Lord every single day. My body was shaking violently. I was that desperate. Um, and I had never experienced complete freedom. And so uh, I had to believe his promises and not believe my past experiences. And the Lord did that for me. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Uh, I know it has made our, our marriage so much more fulfilling. Uh, it, it has resulted, I can proclaim truth as a pastor. Uh, I mean, if I had that, uh, if I were in bondage, in sexual bondage, uh, it, would, it would make a lot of my ministry, I think, hollow. And, and I am so thankful that God has done that in my life, and I want him to do that in your life. Let me conclude with uh, two thoughts. Uh, number one, these are not just the standards of man. These are the standard. These are God's standards. And Paul, if you reread this text, you'll see that he points that out multiple times. But uh, here he goes in verse 8. Therefore, 
Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. Uh, probably there were some Thessalonian Christians saying, Ah, Paul, he, his sexual ethics are all caught up in his Jewish upbringing. You know, come on, we don't really have to do that. And Paul says, this isn't me, the, you know, uh, talking. This is God talking. These are God's standards. And then secondly, um, sexual purity is something we grow in. I like how he says, verse 1, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. It's part of the sanctification process. And the key is our trajectory. We want to look back on life and say, you know what, I'm I'm not who I, who I was. My desires have changed. My conduct has changed. Uh, I am pursuing and growing in sexual purity. And so Paul's not interested in uh, beating the Thessalonians up for their past failures. That's not his interest. His interest is, hey, uh, we're talking about the future. We're talking about God's will for you. We're talking about where, where there's blessing. We're talking about from today uh, on, not the past. You know, what you, I don't know what you've done, but if you're a Christian, it's forgiven. Um, it's forgiven, no matter how immoral it was. Uh, that's why Christ went to the cross, for those kind of things. Uh, so you're forgiven. But God has a, a different and a better future for you. Uh, will you step into it? So bow your heads with me, if you would, and we're going to take some time to pray through. I'm trusting the Spirit of God is, uh, um, is dealing individually with you. And so what does the change look like? Uh, it might be. It might be that the change is you need to get out of an adulterous relationship. It might be that you need to stop sleeping with your uh, boyfriend or your girlfriend might be that you need to uh, stop looking at porn. Uh, you know, there's a scripture verse that says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, which uh, I've always understood to mean um, you're not taking sin seriously enough. Do you really want to be set free? Do whatever it takes. Go confess that tin, uh, sin to someone you love and trust who can actually help you find freedom. Go join uh, a Christian-based um, sexual addiction group. But sexual purity is important to God and it's important to your own uh, spiritual freedom and victory. What, do you, what is God calling you, what step is God calling you to make uh, on, your, on your path toward purity? Dear God, you don't Tell us these things unless they are for our good. Lord, I thank you for Paul and Silas and Timothy's courage to uh, talk about the uncomfortable subject, to challenge the Thessalonians to greater purity. Spirit of the living God, I thank you that you can change us even at, at such a core level. We love you. Trust you. Amen.